In the spring of 2020, as our family was transitioning suddenly into quarantine, working from home, remote learning, and adjusting to all the changes, I found myself facing new circumstances where I had no answers that my husband and I were completely unprepared for as a parent. I knew that something was off, but I couldn't quite pinpoint what it was or how to get through to my children. I kept missing the mark when I was trying to have conversations or understand what was going on exactly. And I was really at a loss because I thought I had the parenting thing down. I had seven years under my belt. I was an active mom of two. I got this. So I found myself in a Zoom room with Reverend Susan Nason and some other parents in a small group setting. And I decided to have weekly coaching sessions with her last summer. Not only was it really grounding and reaffirming in how I want to parent and relate to my children now and in the future, but it really gave me immediately useful frameworks and language so that I can connect with them. And I'm happy to say that's just really helped reconnect with my children and also my husband and have a healthier, more transparent and supportive environment. So I'm very happy to welcome you to our conversation with Reverend Susan Nason. This is Early Care for Every Kid, a podcast for people who want to make learning, living, and loving more harmonious for everyone. I'm your host, Danielle Ahn. Each week, I interview fellow parents, educators, advocates, and community leaders who care for and work with young children and families. I share their experiences, insights, and specific actionable tips on how you could help make the world work better for everyone. Reverend Susan Nason is a founder of the Parent Whisperer New York. She has a thriving domestic and global parent counseling practice that specializes in exploring conscious parenting, employing therapeutic and practical approaches to the challenges of raising children. Susan teaches concrete, compassionate, and effective communication skills to parents and teachers of children of all ages. Susan is an experienced facilitator of the How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk and Siblings Without Rivalry workshops. She was trained and certified by her aunt, award-winning author and parenting expert Adele Faber, and by co-author Elaine Mazlish. She has a spiritual counseling certification and is an ordained interspiritual and interfaith minister. Susan brings her love and compassion of being a proud mother and ecstatic grandmother to her work with parents, teachers, and children. Welcome to our conversation. Could you share with our listeners how you first got into the space of counseling parents and parenting? I actually was about eight years old when this work was first brought to my attention And it was brought to my attention by my aunt. My summer vacation, really, it was my parents' summer vacation, would be that they'd pack me up and send me off to where my aunt lived with her three children, my cousins. 
and they were younger than me and they still had to nap. So this one particular day, they went off for their nap and we had taken out every single toy in the playroom. It was a very large playroom and my aunt had been a teacher. So she really knew how to organize the playroom. Everything had a label and a picture of where things went. So though there was a mess in the room, it was definitely something that anyone who could recognize what a toy looked like could put it back in the right bin. I don't even know why, but I set out to put everything away while my cousins napped. And I'm sure my aunt circled through a few times before I noticed her, but to my recollection, and this is 62 years ago, to my recollection, I was picking up the last toy, putting it in the bin, and she came to the door of the playroom and she said, I see a little girl who knows how to organize. And she walked out of the room. So here it is, 62 years later, I still remember it vividly as if it happened yesterday because no one had ever given me that piece of information about myself mm. before. No one had ever spoken to me that way. Mm. Usually it was, oh, good job, or oh, I love it when you clean up, which I doubt I would remember. I'm getting chills hearing that because I'm a parent of two boys, and I think I've learned to give more descriptive feedback over the years, especially with the help of the book and you last summer. But I think as a culture, we say good job, great job good boy, good girl, your story just gave me chills on the huge impact it has when a young child or any person gets that kind of validation or recognition, no matter how big or small. And it's not manipulative. Exactly. It was not manipulative. It really informed me about an ability that I have. So to continue how I got into this work, when I became a mother, my aunt had just published her book, How to Talk So Kids Would Listen. Uh, Liberated Parents had been out for a while, but the How to Talk was just published. And she was in high demand. People wanted her on tours. They wanted her to run workshops. So she asked me to get involved in the work. And she asked if I would organize a group in my apartment that she would observe having me run because they were thinking of packaging it as a workshop and they wanted to see put someone without any training step into the role. So she sat in my living room and watched me run these workshops. And what I didn't know, and I don't think it's part of her plan, but she was writing down everything I said as the facilitator. So all the intros to the exercises and all the comments about how to do this that is in a book, the facilitator manual, what I had developed that she had written down. And then after my friends left, we would go over it, why this worked, why this didn't. And that's how I got involved. And then I just took off from there. I started running workshops and I've been doing it now for 41 years. Yeah. And I know during the pandemic, you're also available remotely. Yes, my business is now. Mm-hmm. I wonder for all those years of being in the parenting and coaching space by virtue of being Adele Faber's niece, is there anything that surprised you from the experience of raising your own child as a mother? I think it's one thing to have the theory and the intention of doing things a certain way. But when you are in the space of motherhood, is there something that surprised you from having your own children that you wish other parents would know? I have two answers for you. In the moment when I was doing it, you're in the thick of it. You're in the forest. You don't really see the trees. So the only time that I realized 
how much I really needed the skills that I had mastered was when my daughter became a teenager and started needing, demanding, being entitled to a great deal of freedom. And I was very glad that she and I had the relationship that we had so that we could have very honest and difficult talks before I said, yeah, go ahead. If you want to go out, these are the guidelines. But what I'd like to add is now she and I are unusually close. And I know it's because from the time she was verbal and could participate in this way of being raised, that our energetic umbilical cord has been pulsing with love and still does. Mm. Energetic umbilical cord pulsing with love. The kind of relationship where there is trust and boundaries established so that your daughter or whoever, like any young child, can safely decide for themselves what is good, right, safe, and what might not be, and feel safe to explore and to, I guess, come back to that, right? Yes, absolutely. And know that if they cross a boundary or they make a mistake, even with safety, that their parent is still a safe person to run by what happened. The parent is still there to scaffold, not to scold, not to criticize, not to repair, but to make sure that whatever safety equipment is needed is provided. Hmm. I'm just coming from a little incident in my own household where my eight-year-old son hurt himself in the toe, but it looked like it had happened a few days ago and it looks pretty serious actually. So those are some things that I wish he would come to either my husband or I for help, but he just is the kind of kid to want to deal with it himself. And he burst into tears saying, I didn't want you guys to react and get angry at me. He was scared to come to us. And that's the exact thing that I was hoping to avoid. So he's only eight, but in this instance, for all our good intentions, our history of these eight years have led to a point where the child didn't want to get in trouble for something as little as a little injury. What might you say we do to repair that kind of trusting relationship? So will you do a role play with me? Sure. I would love that. Okay. So you be him and I will be you. And I'm assuming you noticed that his toe looked a little more mangled than it should have been. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. Remind me what his name is. Unless you don't want to use his name. Let's say Clay. Clay. Well, Clay, I noticed that your toe looks like you, you really damaged it. It looks like the nail is coming off and it's, I'm not sure if it's getting infected or not. It's really okay. It's nothing. It doesn't hurt that much. Mm, it's okay. I put a sock on it. Sometimes I put two socks on it. Uh, yeah, you're looking for some padding for it to make it feel better? Yeah. You know what, Clay? My job as your mommy is to make sure that you're safe and healthy and that all of the body parts that you have stay attached without any infection. So I'm going to help you clean it and that might hurt. And then I'm wondering what you could do next time when you do hurt yourself. I think some things I can take care of without bothering you. Oh, you were concerned that it would bother me. And I didn't want to get in trouble for picking at uh, it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Dad and I, we make it things. You know what? I'm going to work on that. I'm going to, you and I will talk about how I can remind you. And then you could come and tell me something happened and that you've been picking at it. So you and I can figure out maybe it needs a Band-Aid. Maybe it does need two socks. Yeah, I was also scared of going to the hospital. 
it is scary when you see that much blood and when you see that much raw skin. I fear that you were scared. And sometimes we do need to go to a doctor when we get an injury. And sometimes we don't. So, again, I think you and I can talk about how can you check in with me without feeling like I'm going to be bothered or angry. Mm, I'll try that next time. Okay. And I'll make sure to check in with you and that you don't feel like you're being picked on. I'll just give you some information about how we're going to take care of it. So, you know what? Right now, let's go soak that for a little bit and put a Band-Aid on it. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. So let me tell you what skills I used in that. I didn't shy away from what this child's fears were. I didn't say, don't be ridiculous. And I also didn't reprimand him by saying, yeah, you always pick on things. You always make it worse. I didn't try to make my point at that. What I did was acknowledge feeling. You didn't want to bother me. And you escaped. And then I invited the child to work with me. How can we set up an agreement between the two of us so this won't happen again. Of course, we never know what's going to come up. So basically what we want to do is always greet anything that happens with our child by acknowledging their feelings. For me, I usually then offer a choice. And the choices can always lead to setting limits. We could maybe do another exercise at some point, but that was a good example of acknowledging feelings, the anxiety about being caught for doing something that he's maybe ashamed of, and then offering a choice and work together how to make it better and avoid these problems in the future to keep body parts attached safely. I love, I love how playful that is, but why is that so effective and important? Acknowledging feelings when we do that for another human being, it's the air they need, it's the water they need the only way that they can be whole inside and out is if feelings are acknowledged. It's how they find out who they are, what they like. And not that we're telling them what they like. We're acknowledging, oh, right now you don't like that. Or right now that made you angry. Oh, you really don't like the color red. May we do an example? Uh, Yes, this happens quite frequently. Let's say one child, an older sibling who recently has a younger baby sibling says, I wish my baby sister were never born, which is a horrible thing to say, but it could be a very valid feeling. How do we respond to those scenarios? So you'd be that child who's wishing. I'll be that child. (laughs) Wow, you really wish you didn't have a baby sister. You liked it just what it was before she was born. Yeah. When I could play with you and you could read to me and I could sit on your lap and I didn't have to hurry up. You're missing all of those things. It's so hard to have to give those things up. Yeah. I miss that. Yeah. I hear you missing it. And I miss you. Oh, I miss you too. I miss those times too. Can we give the baby back? Oh, what do you think? Hmm. I hear how much you'd really like to go back to the old way. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's hard now. It's different now. It's different now. It's different. So I'm going to come out of the role and I'm going to point out that I never 
call it whipping out band-aids. I never whipped out my band-aid to say, oh, I'll make sure to read to you. Or what are you talking about? You can sit on my lap anytime. I just stayed with you in, in your feeling of lack. Hmm. I didn't try to rush you through it. Because if I tried to convince you that we could do it differently or what are you talking about? You get to sit in my lap. I'm always reading to you. Mm-hmm. You would have had to dig your heels in. You would have had to become more dramatic and agitated to prove to me how you were feeling. Yes. So my just holding space for you while you expressed how you were feeling without my shying away from it actually allowed you to exhaust those feelings. Now they may arise again Next time you have a sniffle or the baby's crying and you wanted me to read to you, those feelings may come up again. But in that moment, those feelings had run its course. And when you do this in real life with a child, usually the child will say, but you know what? I love it when she smiles at me. Mm-hmm. And I think when you validate and you accept the feelings, even I ran out of things to complain about. That's exactly what I mean by exhausting yourself. You had run through the gamut of yeah. all your negative feelings. And I'll ask you about that you do like about having a sister. Yes. Yeah. So that's 99% of the time what happens. And if that mm-hmm. doesn't happen, then we really need to do a lot of self-reflection, a lot of witnessing, a lot of self-inquiry. How mm-hmm. am I showing up for both of these children that it's so skewed in the older sibling's perspective? That they think mm-hmm. I'm not available. Be in their shoes and see, really listen and hear what they're saying, how it might feel for them. Yes. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely be in their shoes. I was thinking as a child, can we send her back to the hospital? How would that feel for me? I was actually thinking about that as a child. Yes. But that's the beauty of these role plays mm-hmm. when I work with clients is that even though we both know it's a role play, we do stand in that other person's shoes. It's quite a remarkable process. And now what happens if, let's say, the baby sister is older and old enough to understand, hopefully, that kind of relationship. I mean, it comes and goes between siblings. But what if the older child says something about the younger sibling? I wish he or she were never born, you know, in the presence of that sibling. How do we repair that damage? Damage. Part of a sibling relationship. So it's a great question. And one thing that they talk about in the Siblings Without Rivalry book, Faber and Maislis, who wrote the, the other two books that I use, mm-hmm. these are their words about victims. And if you could see me, I'm using air quotes victims and bullies. You kids aren't victims, they're not bullies. It's just how you identify between the child being aggressed on or the aggressor. So the child in that situation who's overhearing, I wish my sister was never born, is what they would call a victim. So the first thing you do is you go to the child that's being victimized. And again, I'm using air quotes, your kids are not victims. Uh, and say to that child, you really don't like it when your brother speaks that way. You really wish that he wouldn't be so angry at you right now. And you're saying this loud enough for the child that has made that drastic statement to hear. So you're saying the family rule without having to say, in this family, we don't speak that way. You go to the child. So you give the attention that the child who's being aggressive wants to the child that's being victimized. Mm-hmm. So that short circuits it. The aggressor isn't getting what they want, which is the attention. 
the one that's being victimized is being taken care of. After you do that, you could go to the child that's so angry and say, wow, you're so angry. It's just you wish she didn't do whatever. Right. But if we reprimand that child, don't speak that way. How could you say that? I know you love your sister. There again, that child has to prove to you how angry they are. Mm-hmm. They either start stomping around, calling names, or they start throwing things or saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Feelings are truths in our bodies right? Feelings are very subjective, but that is their truth in that moment. So besides acknowledging that and offering a choice or offering information, is there any other strategy that you can offer as a way to diffuse a situation without just putting a bandaid on it, actually addressing the problem and still, I guess, keeping the peace or finding a solution? You may not be able to keep the peace. So the mm. goal of this work Yes is not necessarily to keep the peace. Mm. The goal of this work is to make sure you have a lifelong heart connection with your child. Mm -hmm. And if we don't do it now, before they're pre-teens, it's really hard. It's not impossible, but it's really hard to build up that trust. Mm. And you want them to know when they're pre-teens, and especially when they're teenagers, that no matter what has gone on, they can come to you. And you're not going to reprimand them and you're not going to punish them. And you're not going to threaten them and you're not going to take things away. Right. I just was having a little moment. <laughs> yeah, this is trust building. We're doing all of these exercises with our children so that they trust us when they really need us because the problems get more and more complicated and maybe more serious the older they are. If we've just given them lip service or all we've done is reprimand them or correct them or criticize them, how would they come to us mm-hmm. when they're older? Mm-hmm. I would say that is the most important um, gift that you can give your child to know that my parents have my back. More specifically, that I can go with them to try to solve or resolve a problem in a safer way. Um, even if I've messed up horribly, I can still go to them and be loved unconditionally. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Beautifully put. What would the world look like if every person, every kid felt that way, that they were unconditionally loved? Yep. One of the reasons I really wanted to have you on this podcast was because last summer we were having conversations and one observation I had was that hurt people really hurt not only themselves, but others, mm-hmm. whether it's in our local community or smaller family or even in the bigger national, international arena. And we see that hurt people hurt others. And one line that you said that has stuck, has struck me so hard in that moment was you said, loved people love. And how powerful of a reframe is that instead of focusing on the hurt and the pain and the fear that people carry along coming from their families of origin and whatever their individual experiences were to reframing that and saying, hey, loved people love (laughs) really boldly. So I wanted to amplify that. Do you want to speak more to that? Love people love. They're not afraid to show their heart, be open-hearted. They're, they're not afraid that if you disagree with someone, even if you're angry with someone, that the relationship is going to fall apart. Mm. 
when you are able to have conversations that are not accusatory or derogatory, you don't have to push someone down just to feel a little bit better about yourself, but you can offer sincere and genuine support for somebody who might be going through a harder time. That's an act of love, not criticism. Yes. So I'm just hoping that many more parents could connect with their children in ways that are loving and modeling how we can resolve conflicts and how we can raise resilient, good, solid, and secure human beings. This work definitely does that. Mm. I think that the one thing that I hear from adult clients and from clients who now have adult children is that the one thing that makes them go to their therapist is that they never felt like enough that their parents were so super critical. And the parents do that out of love. You know, they constantly strip a child of autonomy because they love them so much and they don't want the child to make mistakes. But all the child hears is that they're not good enough. They didn't do this well enough. They could have done it better. Where are the other two points when they come home with a 98? Mm. What would you say about very different parenting styles? in a two-parent household where one parent might try to adopt this kind of parenting style and the other one hasn't been parented or related to in this loving manner, validating Mm -hmm. manner. What would you say to existing uh, households like that and people who are expecting or who want to maybe consider um, coupling up and start dating? Or what are some questions that might be useful to even begin having these conversations to get on the same page of parenting, raising children in this way? Your question is multifaceted. And I will start from the outside and work my way in. Even if two-parent household, both parents read the same book, mm-hmm. going to still parent differently mm-hmm. because of their own upbringing, because of their own interpretation, because of their own perceptions, because... Children do behave differently with different parents, whether it's because of gender or how they look or smell. We don't really know. But children faced with the same edict from the parent will react differently. So it's a given that there's no way that a couple can parent exactly the same way. Mm -hmm. And being able to accept that and tolerate that between the couple is very important. Mm -hmm. What I've noticed is people in successful marriages share core values. They share a set of family rules and goals. But each person in that family goes about meeting those goals and applying those rules in a different way, no matter what. Even if both parents are working with me, they're going to interpret and project same information. It's almost like a handwriting. Mm. What is your parenting signature? Mm. So that's the first thing. So it does go back to couples or people planning on having babies. You know, watch how your significant other behaves around their family because you can be pretty sure that whatever was modeled at home in their birth family is going to show up in your family when your partner is stressed. So if 
parents were yellers, if their own parents were yellers, chances are they will become a yeller, whether they mean to or not, whether they hear themselves. If they were withholders, brought up by withholders, they will become a withholder until they can do their own witnessing and realize it doesn't feel good to them or to their child. And then hopefully they pick up some parenting books and they start looking at other ways to do it. But I will say again, even if you read exactly the same book, you will still parent very differently. But your goals will be the same. And that's the important piece. That's what makes a successful marriage. One thing I learned through being a parent, especially from reading the book and having conversations with you in the past, is acknowledging feelings. Even if I'm total disagreement with whatever is happening and is being expressed, mirroring the feeling has been a huge time saver. As long as it's not done in a sarcastic or ironic way, it diffuses any sort of situation tremendously and almost instantly. And like the exercise that we did earlier, it lets things out. It does. Yeah, where it needs to get let out. Yeah. It definitely does. Mm. Yes. Acknowledging feelings lets the other person know that I'm listening. I might not agree, but I do hear what you have to say. I might not even understand it. So I don't have to understand it. I don't have to agree. But you have the right as a human being to express yourself. Mm -hmm. As the parent, I have a right to limit it. So right. one thing that you'll see in the book is that angry children can't hit other people. Mm -hmm. Disappointed people can't toss up the game that they're losing. Within a certain family set of rules, they can let me know how angry and disappointed. And we also have to take into account the age of a child. Right. So, you know, our four-year-olds are going to say, I hate you. Our two-and-a-half-year-olds are going to say, I'm going to throw you out the window. <laughs> Because they don't have the words to let us know. Or go to jail. <laughs> I'm going to put you in jail. Because they don't yet have the words to express that I am so angry at you, mom. And I don't know how to tell right. you. Wow, you're that angry at me that you want me locked up. You don't even want to see my face right now. I found that when children are really that angry and almost pushing us away, it's sometimes a cry. Yes, it's obviously a cry for attention. They want to be heard and they want to be understood how angry and upset or frustrated, whatever the emotion is. When they don't want to be hugged, go away kind of situation, that could anger a parent in the moment. Very right? much that so. could be a turn off and like then go to your room. But that's when they're really the most vulnerable. And that's really when they want to be held. But some kids, I haven't brought into this mix of sensory integration issues. And that's a whole, whole other story. But let me say a little bit about this. When children are that angry at us, we used to say they're looking for attention. But what I've recently learned from working with one of my teammates is what they're really looking for is connection mm. and not necessarily physical connection and not necessarily in your face connection. Mm -hmm. They're, they are just looking for that part, that energetic umbilical cord connection. Mm. And when children consistently push us that we get so angry that we have in the past sent them to their room, or we wish we could send them to their room, we need to look at, does this child need alone time? And can we build that into their schedule before they get that angry? Because they may not know how to ask for alone time. Mm. So our children that are consistently so
so angry that they start throwing things, stomping around or breaking things. You might, when it's not going on, when the situation isn't going on, say, you know, I notice sometimes you get really angry. If, if you think maybe you would like to have some time all by yourself, either on the couch with some uh, crayons and a coloring book or in your room with a book. And build it into their schedule purposefully, specifically, so that they don't have to make you so angry that you send them to their mm. And when children are that angry, they should never be sent to them. Because all it's saying to them is, you are so out of control, I can't even look yeah, at you. Yeah, you're not worthy of and my... Right. Yeah. yeah. That's not how we love no. them. I feel so sad for that child who is sent away because he or she is acting out. They feel rejected yeah. and abandoned. Yeah. We don't want the people we love the most to ever feel that way. Right. They could make a mistake or express right. their anger, but that doesn't define or you know measure their worthiness. Besides acknowledging feelings and validating and setting kind but firm boundaries within the family, what are some values or practices that are really important to nurturing the sense of self-worth or self-confidence in a child? Nothing works better than acknowledging a child's feelings them to be able to know that they're worthy because the the first thing we all want to be worthy of is love are we lovable are we loved and by acknowledging feelings you let another human being know that however they're feeling is something that you will accept with limits and as a child can't hit frustrated child can't toss up a game that they're playing because they're losing Mm -hmm. yeah Everything goes back to this acknowledging feelings. If we don't do that first and often, nothing else that I teach anyone will ever work. Mm. Right. And here's the other thing that happens. As you acknowledge someone's feelings, as you get that energetic mm-hmm. cord pulsing with love, mm-hmm. it's really hard to be angry at that other person. Mm. You know, your, your child just took crayons and, and drew all over the wall you just had painted. So you might say to that child, wow, you were really interested to see how that that crayon would look on the wall. That was such a clean wall. It was almost like having a great big sheet of paper. You know, inside you are so angry, right? You just spent a thousand dollars to get your apartment painted. And this child just took a crayon. But you will calm down if you acknowledge their feelings. Mm. It's really hard to be angry at someone that you've emotionally connected with. Mm-hmm. Besides our own children, how can we relate to and connect with other people? We don't have an umbilical cord, emotional umbilical cord pulsating with love with other people like strangers on the street necessarily. But how might we have that kind of connection with other people so we may not just write them off, right? A great question, which brings us to a meta meditation practice. Are you familiar with it? If you could tell us more. The meta meditation practice is you bring someone to mind who you love. That's an easy connection. And you send them love and you receive love. And then you bring someone to mind who's neutral. So that might be for some people, their postal worker or their dry cleaner. So there, though we don't think we have an energetic umbilical cord to them, we in fact do. Every human being has an energetic umbilical cord to every other human being. 
many of us have it between our animals. Mm -hmm. It is the spiritual side of us. It is the heart-centered side. We are connected to everyone on earth. And then the continuation of the meta practice is to bring someone that you're angry with or you're disappointed in, someone that really is challenging on an emotional level. And just think of them in a loving way. Because they are also, at one point, they were a little child that either was wounded, neglected, mistreated. And that's what you're seeing in them as an adult more than anything else. How were they not? And how is that showing up in their life right now? So it doesn't mean bring them home. Yeah. It doesn't mean marry them. But it does mean, oh my goodness, this is a struggling soul. This is a struggling person. That brings me to a quick question. You are an ordained interspiritual and interfaith minister. When did that yes. happen? And how does that inform your work in parenting and your philosophy? You kind of answered it in the previous yes, but. I think I just answered it too without bringing it in very heavily. I've been ordained for 20 years. The important piece of what I do is I'm not a preacher. I'm not rooted or vested in one particular religion. I bring spiritual practices from many, many religions into my work. The spiritual part of what we consider to be religion is that heart-centered part. It's how do we get along? How do you bring harmony to your life? How do you love someone even when you're angry at them? And that's what I bring into my work. Without glossing over the suffering or the pain or the injustice or the hard facts, you deal with it and you acknowledge it, not just paint over it or sweep it under the rug. Right, right. Yeah, and people are dealing with very hard issues. Mm especially now, especially past eight years. Mm-hmm. And how can you show up for them even when you disagree? Yes. Even when you disagree. Yeah. Right. And the, the way to do that is acknowledge mm-hmm. their feelings. Is there any other thing that I haven't asked that you would like to add? One thing that often comes up in questioning when I'm working with clients is we did sort of touch on it. How can we get other people on board? You know, very often grandparents are very involved, either hands-on helping or they're across the country or across the world, but still sometimes their loving advice feels like interference. But one thing that helps enormously when you have someone in your life that's important to you that you don't want to alienate, but you do want to set a boundary with them about how they are interfering, interjecting commenting on your parenting, acknowledge their feelings also. Mm -hmm. You might say something like when your mother or your mother-in-law says, why aren't you doing it this way? You're raising spoiled children or your child's such a brat or they're such a baby. Acknowledge their feelings. Wow, mom, you're really concerned about how Clay is behaving right now. I hear that you didn't like that. He grabbed that from his sister. And you know what? I do appreciate your input. I want you to know that My husband, your son, whatever, and I have decided how to parent. We're going to parent in a certain way. Thanks so much for your concern. And then hand them a copy of the book. (laughs) (laughs) One last question. I know you have one grown daughter and two beautiful granddaughters. I do. What is one lesson or message that you would want to impart to them during the time that you have with them on earth? 
not so much about parenting, it's more about being a human is follow your bliss. Mm-hmm. If you're not enjoying the majority of your day, look and see why. What have you brought into your life? What are you still trying to master that isn't serving you? That's really hard for young kids who are still in school. But kids have passions. Kids have North Stars. And what the research shows is children who figure out what their North Star is pretty early are more emotionally stable and more, and I'm using air quotes again, more successful, because that might not mean financially more successful, but it means they are happier in their life. They're more grounded because they're following their bliss. So expose your children to yeah. a lot. So give them, if your budget allows, the swim lessons, the tennis lessons, arts lessons, they need a reading teacher or a language teacher, expose them to it. But when they hit a wall and they're letting you know in ways that we've all figured out how our kids let us know that it's too much for them, either figure out, is it the teacher? Is it the subject? And start just winding things down until they find what their passion is. I wonder though, I know some adults who wish they had stuck with piano, for example. Oh, I wish I had just stayed with it, even though I hated they probably hated practicing. practicing because their parents were super critical or the teacher was super critical. You didn't play that right. Let's redo it instead of, oh, those notes are tricky. I wonder if you try it this way, if that'll help. Or should we sing it before you practice it? Or should I play it and record it and send it to you? What was the approach that they were taught? Was it a, a loving, acknowledging mm-hmm. approach? Or was it, you're going to do it and you're going to do it until you get it right. And if you don't do it, you're not getting TV tonight. Mm. Mm, that's a hard one where the parent is operating out of love. This is the way I know. This is a way I was taught to do it. This is what I believe works, but it really doesn't. It kind of kills the joy and the spark that the child might have been able to nurture. Yeah, I think that's really good advice to find and follow and stay with your bliss. Follow your bliss. A memory came up on Facebook of when I was on the Rosie Pope show as a parenting expert. And the young woman who was siding with the mom who was pregnant, hadn't even had this child and was already scheduling out the Chinese lessons and masterminding everything. Yeah. She had her back up and I was the dad's parenting expert. And this subject came up. How do you ensure that someone has mental health and the support they need? And it's that you you support them while they're trying to find out what do they like, what don't they like? Because if we don't, they either have to keep stuffing how they're feeling about things or their passion just disappears. And then the rest of the show. So in the middle of this taping, this young woman uh, who was supporting her mom said, I wish you had been my mother, Susan. Yeah. Because she realizes how hard her life is. Expectations. Yes. Parental expectations can really be. Yeah, it could be a cage. It's meant to be scaffolding, right? The intention is to be a stepping stone or scaffolding, but it could really be a cage. Yeah. There's a lot to this parenting. (laughs) I really, really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thanks for inviting me to do this with you. How can listeners or parents who might need some support get in touch with you? They can go to my website. It's uh, www.theparent.com.
whisperer, New York. My email is rev, R-E-V, dot Susan Mason, and that's N as in Nelly, A-S as in Sam, O-N, at gmail.com. Thanks for joining me, Danielle, on for this episode of Early Care for Every Kid. You can find all the resources mentioned in this episode, including the parenting books and Reverend Susan Nason's contact information and website at earlycareforeverykid.org slash nine. I'm also looking for future guests who might want to contribute their stories on their early care journeys for future episodes. So if you'd like to get in touch with me on Instagram, I'm at earlycareforeverykid or always at earlycareforeverykid.org. Thanks for listening. Till next time, take care.